been interesting uh, to pay attention to our culture lately for obvious reasons and how we respond uh, to things here in the United States. Uh, there's something about American culture that I would define as a sort of rugged, self-reliant individualism. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with our revolutionary past when we uh, kicked off the, the constraints uh, at the beginning or inception of our country. Um, but what tends to happen is that we tend to be a people who look out for ourselves to make sure we don't need to depend on anyone else. We can make our own path. And if you're really paying attention to American culture, you can see this as a part of our DNA really all over the place. But I think we have to admit that at times, sometimes, this self-reliant individualism can actually get in the way of our faith. It can actually work against our faith. I believe at times it certainly works against our happiness, and at times it can actually make us lonelier people. Of course, now we're in a, a pretty interesting moment, and I was thinking about all these things as uh, I was writing the sermon this week. We're now encouraged to avoid other people due to this virus that is all around us. We're hearing things like social isolation and uh, social distancing. I'd never heard of that before, uh, but that's what we're hearing now. Uh, my fear with all this is that the unintended consequence, the unintended consequence of all this is that it might just feed our individualism or uh, feed our isolationism or feed our self-orientation, at least for a little while. And of course, all these things could be really important for a season, and maybe we should pay attention to them. But we also can't forget what the Scripture has to say when it comes to these American values that are all around us. Because in many ways, the Scriptures encourage us to do the opposite in a lot of ways. The Scriptures tell us that we find life not in selfishness or self-orientation, but in giving ourselves away for others. Life isn't found in figuring, out for, figuring it all out for ourselves, but it's found in admitting that we can't figure it all out. The scriptures remind us that we were created not to be in isolation, but we were created to be in relationship. Rather than being preoccupied with ourselves, we are always to look outside of ourselves. We're to look to God. We're to look to other people. And that is true even in the midst of risk and even in the midst of pain. Of course, Jesus becomes our example in all of this. And if you've been with us here at City Church you'll know that we're in this Lenten season. We're looking at the, the last words of Jesus as he spoke them on the cross. And one of the things that we've seen so far is that even in those last moments, in those last words, you see that Jesus was, wasn't preoccupied with himself. Instead, he was radically focused on his Father, and he was focused on those that were around him. Think about those first words that we looked at with Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive who? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, he was praying to the Father for those people who were crucifying him. The second phrase we looked at is, today you will be with me in paradise. And we saw how Jesus bestows grace and forgiveness and salvation on a criminal who is hanging beside him being crucified alongside of him. 
If you're with us last week, we looked at those phrases, behold your mother and behold your son. Jesus was establishing who will care for who once he was gone, once his life was over. And so as we come to Jesus' words on the cross this morning, we see him return to addressing his Father in heaven. Except this time, he doesn't call him Father. Instead, he addresses him as God. So our passage this morning is from uh, Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to be simply reading a few verses, uh, verses 45 to 50. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of worship uh, this morning as we do each week, but we're thankful that as we come and reflect on the gospel, we're not reflecting on truths that meant something a long time ago or are outdated or have no relevance for our lives today, but we're looking at truth that radically changes every piece of us, every part of our being, every part of our soul. So we pray this morning, Father, as we come to your word that you would speak to our hearts because we need to hear your voice, that you would change us because we need to be changed, that you would satisfy us because we are thirsty and hungry. So please be with us. Guide our hearts as we reflect on your word here this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Once again, let's uh, set the scene in which Jesus uh, spoke these last words. Of course, we know at the end of his life, he was led outside of the city, um, outside the city of Jerusalem to a hill, the Hill of the Skull, also called Golgotha. Both on the way and while he was on this hill, he was mocked, he was spit upon, he was beaten. And then Matthew tells us in his account that this crucifixion took place between the sixth hour and the ninth hour. That would be in our time frame between noon and 3 p.m., in the afternoon. Matthew tells us in verse 45 that there was darkness over the whole land. And some interpreters look at that and say, uh, Matthew's actually saying the whole earth, that the whole earth was consumed with darkness. And, and every time that would happen in the scriptures, it was always a sign of the judgment of God. Just think back to the book of Exodus, the ninth plague, and the signal of the judgment of God that came with darkness. Matthew tells us that in this moment, Jesus cried out in Aramaic, but those that were hearing him uh, mistook what he said. He was saying, Eloi, Eloi, in Aramaic, and those around him thought he was saying Elijah in Greek, and they believed that he was calling down Elijah to come to his aid. Ultimately, at the end of our passage, it tells us that Jesus cries out again, and he yields his spirit. 
As I think on these last words of Jesus and this passage in particular, I want us to think about it in sort of two realms, or three realms. I want us to think about the mystery of it all. I want us to think about the why of it all, and then finally look at the power of it all. But first, I want us to look at the mystery of it all, and you have to look no further than the words Jesus spoke on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, because here we have the Son of God expressing for all of us to hear that He has been abandoned or forsaken by God the Father. Now, as we think about that, I think we need in humility to admit that we don't completely understand the fullness and the depth of this moment. I think a lot of it remains mysterious to us. One of the central Christian beliefs is this thing called the Trinity, and what we believe about the Trinity is that God is uh, three persons, but one substance. But even within that Trinity, there is relationship within the Godhead. There is community within God Himself. So there's one God, there's one substance, yet three persons intimately relating with one another in the personality of God. Now this character, uh, the character of this relationship or the character of the Trinity was altered in some way, we're not sure all the ins and outs of it, but it was altered in some way when God took on flesh and dwelt among His people as Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 tells us that the Son of God emptied Himself in becoming one of us. But even as you look at Jesus' life, one of the things you see is that He remained intimately related to His Father. It was a deep relationship, obviously, before Jesus became one of us, but even as He was one of us, it was the deepest of relationships. He says that He only does things that are consistent with the will of His Father in heaven. You even see Jesus constantly stealing away time in the morning, late in the evening, in order to commune with His Father to be in relationship with His Father. And of course, this all makes sense because God the Father, God the Son, they'd experienced an unchanged unity of relationship from before time had even begun. And yet here at the cross, something profoundly unique happens. The Son cries out that He feels forsaken by the Father. I think you get the sense that this actually becomes the moment of Jesus' greatest pain. It wasn't the nails or the pierced flesh. It wasn't the humiliation or the shame. It wasn't the mocking or the taunting. The greatest pain for Jesus is being forsaken by His Father in heaven. The Council of Constantinople saw this as a case of divine self-alienation. What? a profound mystery we are seeing here at the cross. Now, I say this is mysterious, but I don't want you to think that mystery is always really a bad thing. In fact, I think mystery often can be a good thing. It certainly isn't a bad thing when it comes to faith in God, because faith at many times calls us to embrace things we don't fully understand, to embrace the mystery of it all. And of course, so much of God still remains mysterious to all of us, 
his followers. There's so much about him that we don't know or don't fully understand because God, after all, is not like us, a fact that I am infinitely grateful for most of the time. He is far greater and far fuller than our minds can even comprehend. So when it comes to this moment, we have to consider the mystery of it all. But I think we also need to consider the why of it all, the why of it all. I think one of the most fundamental questions that people of God ask all the time, and this question we ask of God all the time, is this, God, why? Why? Why is this thing happening to me? Why did I lose my job? Why do I seem plagued with a health issue when everybody else seems so wonderfully healthy? Why can't I seem to find the right person? Or why do I have to be married to this schlub that I am married to? Or God, if you love me, why does this happen? And you can fill in that blank in a million different ways. We ask God why all the time. And sometimes, often actually, the answers to those questions don't really come. But don't miss that here what we see is the Son of God asking the Father why. He asks his Father why. One commentator said, the wisest person who ever lived died asking God a question. Jesus wanted to know why. Now, what's interesting about all this uh, is that we sort of know why, right? We sort of know why this all happened. The gospel tells us that the only way for enemies of God to be made sons of God was for Jesus to walk this path. This is the only way that our sin could be taken care of. It's the only way that grace could be made available for you and for me. This was the only way that God's justice could be satisfied, and at the same time, you and I could be made whole. And so the why of all this is the gospel message itself. So we wonder, didn't Jesus know that? Didn't Jesus know the why of it? Well, we have to answer, of course, of course he did. Of course he had to know why he was here. So why in this moment ask why? Why did Jesus ask why? Well, as you dig a little deeper, one of the things you discover is this, that the hour in which Jesus was crucified was actually the hour of the day that was called the Jewish hour of prayer. And so Jews would gather in synagogues, they would gather in their homes, they would gather wherever they were to pray, and often the guidebook that they used to pray was the book of Psalms. And so what we see in Jesus is that during this hour of prayer, Jesus, in his distress, turns turns to the Psalms. And in fact, he turns to Psalm 22, a psalm that we talked about in our story last week, but we see it even fuller this week. Jesus on the cross is praying Psalm 22. Listen to these words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest yet You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. You see, Jesus, in his distress, he turns to the Psalms. 
He echoes the prayers of David, who in the moment in which he wrote this psalm felt particularly forsaken by God. And yet here Jesus, the Son of God, felt forsaken, yet far more profoundly than David ever did, and far more profoundly than you and I have ever felt or will ever feel. You see, I think there's a lot going on here at the cross, but what I think Jesus does here, we have, to, uh, we have to come to terms with this, what I think Jesus does here is he offers us a paradigm as well. He is showing us something. And so, so think about even your own life when it comes to these why questions. Think about your own life and what you're going through. Are you going through some particular distress? Are you overwhelmed by some burden that life has thrown your way? Does the pain and frustration of these circumstances feel so real to you that your bones feel like they are literally crushed? Do you sometimes shake your fist at God, wondering why? If so, then do as Jesus did here. Saturate yourself in God's scriptures. Be so thoroughly steeped in the scriptures that when you are in distress, God's word oozes from you. But also remember this, I think it is okay for us to ask God why. It's okay for us to ask God why. David asked God why, Jesus here asks God why, and so you can ask God why. After all, Jesus did as well. So we see here the mystery of it all. We see here the why of it all. Finally, what we see is the power of it all, the powerful moment that this represents. You see, the cross, I believe, is the most powerful event in all of redemptive history. It is far more powerful than the parting of the Red Sea. It's far more powerful uh, than the, the walls of Jericho coming tumbling down. It's far more powerful than all the miracles and all the healings that you read about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And yet, despite the fact that it's so powerful, this power is made manifest, it is made real in a moment of weakness, perhaps the greatest moment of weakness. Because what is so powerful about all this is that Jesus suffered, yes, but that he suffered willingly. He suffered willingly. He says in John chapter 10 that he is the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd willingly lays down his life for his sheep. You see, Jesus could have stopped the Jews from all of this. He could have stopped the Romans from all of this. He could have walked away from all of this at a moment's notice, calling down a legion of angels, but he didn't. He didn't. He willingly laid down his life for his children, for you and for me. What the gospel tells us is that he became sin so that the just punishment of our sin could be atoned for. Jesus profoundly felt the absence of God, a, a thing he'd never felt before. He'd never felt this acute absence of God before. And yes, his physical body hurt, but the abandonment of God cast his soul into distress. You see, he felt the absence of God so that you and I would never have to. 
so that you and I would never have to. His cries for help went unanswered. God was far from him because he bore our sin. His desperation went unanswered so that you and I, when we cry out in desperation, our prayers can be answered. You see, Jesus experienced estrangement and loneliness so that you and I would never have to. You see, friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel in itself, in its glory, in its power. Sure, God remains mysterious. Sure, we are often left with all sorts of unanswered questions. Sure, we'd love to have an answer to all of the whys of our life. We may never actually get the answers to those questions, but one thing we can be assured of is this. If your faith is in Jesus, you will never feel abandoned and forsaken by God. He was forsaken so that you could be accepted. All of this he did willingly because he loves you. Let's pray.